day was that I got to choose the music over breakfast. And so there were some 90s classics, some noughties classics coming out, doing all sorts of reminiscing. And uh, I'm sure I don't have to persuade you that songs are powerful. They they often bring you back to places that uh, you remember listening to that song like a soundtrack to your life. I think everyone in some ways has a bit of a soundtrack to their lives, don't they? For me, um, just some of the the kind of tracks on that soundtrack to my life would be uh, Oasis, Wonderwall. Good choice, right? Reminds me of uh, all those No Good Weekends when I was a teenager. Robbie Williams, Angels. Slow dancing at the end of a school disco. Some poor girl is slow dancing with me. Or uh, let's be honest, more likely Celine Dion. But I don't want to really like confess that too quickly. Jack Johnson's Better Together was kind of like a little bit of a, a defining track for Lindsay and I. So I fell in love with this beautiful redhead. And uh, that song was in the background. Better Together. <laughs> Look at her face. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> um, then when I first came to faith, Actually, there is a couple of albums that I listen to again and again and again. It just takes me back to this kind of sweet spot where I'm just falling in love with God. Uh, Matt Redman, Face Down. I've discussed that with the worship band quite a bit, and they're probably like, would you shut up about that album? Um, The other one that I really loved was Hillsong United's Always. Remember that? People, people my kind of age going, yes, great album. All young guys like, what is that? It can be heavenly, can't it? It can be heavenly. And actually, I think it literally is heavenly. That's, there's going to be a lot of singing in heaven. It's God's design. We're made to sing. And we're made to remember through song and to look forward through song, to have hope that kind of is stirred in us through song. John Chrysostom 4th century Archbishop of Constantinople. He said this, you know it's serious when you pull out a church father. Nothing so arouses the soul, gives it wings, sets it free from earth, releases it from the prison of the body, teaches it to love wisdom and to condemn all the things of this life as concordant melody and sacred song composed in rhythm. They knew how to say things back then, didn't they? It's not surprising then, as we continue in our three-week, four-chapter recap, this previously on heart and house section, that 2 Samuel 22 remembers with song. It's actually Psalm 18, but here in our text in 2 Samuel 22, and really it's like a title song of heart and sound. Heart and sound? Heart and house. Well, it is sound, but heart and house. David begins the first few verses And I'll get us to open it up in just a few minutes. He begins those verses like a machine gun of exuberant praise. He says, My Lord, my rock, my refuge, my fortress, my shield, my salvation, my deliverer, my stronghold, all in three verses. And then the following verses reminds us why he and we have reason to sing like that. This machine gun of praise. So come on, let's draw out just five. Okay, I'm going to move quickly, don't worry. Okay. First one, sing, God, 
has heard your cry for help. Verses 5 through 7. Let me read it. It says this. The waves of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. I went to school uh, one day. Uh, I was a 15, I think, maybe a bit younger, actually. And um, a girl in my class hadn't come in uh, to registration class that morning. We found out it was because her cousin was missing after he and a friend had been out uh, in Loch Lomond the night before. And two days later, they're still searching for him. And in the end, uh, they discovered that her cousin Stephen had died. He was only 16. And it was brutal. Like, the whole school was affected by this. He was a formal, former pupil. And it was just the most horrible of things. His family totally devastated. And that really kind of acts as a, a what could have been contrast to what we saw last month where three uh, people were out, three guys were out on a, a boat in Loch Lomond beginning of May, and they fell in, they capsized, they fell in, and they're crying out for help. Thankfully, a lifeboat was sent. They were seen. A lifeboat from Luss was sent. You can't imagine the panic, can you? Legs tire, cold sets in. And you're overwhelmed by the crashing waves. You think, well, this could be it. If no one comes here, this is it. Will I make it? Will anyone come? What relief for them when that boat did come to save those three. David describes his situation like that. Death swirled around and tied him up. Destruction overwhelmed him. But it wasn't water it was that he was being hunted down by his enemies they were encircling him and David was in the waters of injustice of persecution being chased and harried so when Saul and his enemies pursued him he said to his best mate Jonathan at the time back in 1 Samuel 20 there is but a step between me and death Maybe you've been there. Maybe you are there. Maybe you felt suicidal. Maybe you have had just felt so much grief at some point in your life at the death of a close family member or friend, and it's been overwhelming. Maybe life is just tiring to you and you're treading water. Maybe someone or a group of people are treating you badly, that you feel like you're swimming in the waters of injustice. Maybe you just look at a group of people who are swimming in the waters of injustice and think, Lord, what about them? Maybe you feel like people are trying to push you down and get your head under that water. Here's good news. Like David can say, he heard me, verse 7. You can know God hears you. If you cry out to God for help, he does hear you. 
You will not end up like Stephen in the waters of injustice. Not forever. Even if we were to drown, even if we were to die, if we've been crying out to God for help, he is our salvation. He is our rescuer. We can rely on him. So let's point out the obvious. David doesn't suffer in silence. If you feel unnoticed, if you're not feeling heard, someone hears you. You need to know someone hears you. And it's God himself. In fact, he yearns to hear your cries. It's not, it's not like he, he wasn't no, really noticing you and then he kind of he gets this like little sense that someone is crying out somewhere and he has to go looking for you. No, he's been looking for you the whole time. He's been waiting for you to cry out. He's, he's yearning for you to cry out. Verse 2, because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. God actively listens. And it's a very good reason for us to pray and sing. Sing. Even from the stormy waters, sing cries of help because God has heard you and he hears you. Sing. Number two, sing. God's passion for you is explosive. Let me read to you from verses 8 through 16. It says, The earth trembled and quaked. The foundation of the heavens shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, bolts of lightning blazed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot arrows and scattered the enemies, bolts of lightning, and routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed, and the foundation of the earth laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of breath from his nostrils. God responds to your cry, but the response to you might be surprising. God often responds to our cries for help with fury. Didn't think I was going to say that today, did you? Enraged at all the awful things that are inflicted upon us. All the injustices, sin and its effects, and relationships on health, on emotions, on our thinking, at Satan's schemes and the world's temptations. God hates when people treat you badly. He hates it when anyone is treated badly. How that virus mutated and found you at horrible things that have been done to you. His metaphorical nostrils flare and burn with heat when he sees that you have been mistreated. The evil injustice of Putin's shock and awe tactics are nothing on how God's justice will rain down on an evil world. No one and no power can compare. 
Tell Ralph Davis says in his commentary on, this, on these verses, David doesn't merely want to tell you a fact about Yahweh. He wants you to see Yahweh in all his saving fury. He doesn't intend merely to inform you about what God has done. He wants you to see the God who did it in all his phosphorescent splendor. God will not let injustice go. You see the injustice in the world. It's not a reason not to believe in God. It's a reason to believe in God because God is just and he will deal with it. His fury and love for you will be satisfied. He refuses to leave you swimming in tides of injustice forever. God is just and it's good news. God gets angry and it's good news. Sing. God's passion for you and the people who are unfairly treated around the world is explosive. Number three, sing because God has won your freedom. Turn to verse 17. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Not only does God hear us when we're drowning in the waters of injustice, but God himself, verse 17, reaches from on high and grabs hold of us. He comes to rescue us and pull us out. What overwhelming relief. But God doesn't only rescue. He takes us from those waters to a spacious place, to a place of freedom. God freed David from enemy oppression, from the hiding places that he was in, in those crags and in in amongst those rocks and those caves. And God has defeated sin, the worst oppressor. And then verse 20, he says, God brought me into the spacious place, into freedom. David here is reveling in the spacious place. He's reveling in freedom. He's dancing in wide open spaces, free in God. What about you? Do you know you are free? Do you know the freedom of God? Do you live in freedom? Do you live in the truth of what God has already done for you through Jesus? And the freedom he has won for you? Or do you live shackled to things that God has already broken off in his victory? Shackles of guilt, of sin, of shame. They're not for you to be shackled to anymore. John Stott tells this story of a soldier in the First World War in France called Louis Delcourt. He was probably pronounced very differently to that, but there we are. And he's hiding because what happened was he he deserted the front line and uh, he went home, sneaked home, and he lived in the attic and his mum would bring him food. And he lived in this attic for years. Eventually his mum dies in 1937. He's been there for 40 plus years. And he staggered out. He had no way of getting food anymore. Staggers out to find an officer, a police officer, to hand himself in. 
And when he sees the police officer, the police officer says, Have you not heard? Do you not know? An amnesty has been passed. You're free. I can't arrest you. You're free. And it had been passed years earlier. You are free. And you need to live in your freedom. Galatians 5 says it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened, weighed down, shackled by a yoke of slavery. Christ has won your freedom. Run into the open spaces. Enjoy that God has freed you from sin, from the sin sinned against you, from shame, from guilt, from Satan, and from death. Be free. Be the free person that you are in God. And a free person in God is a child of God. Part of the song that probably spoke to me most this week as I was preparing was in verse 20, the second half. It says, because he, this is the reason that God did this. It's the reason that God saved him. It's the reason that God brought him into freedom. He freed him because he, God, delighted in him. God doesn't just do what he has to do for you. It's not just that he's, he's kind of making a cold transaction because he's just. No, no, not at all. He doesn't have to do this. In fact, we're undeserving of it. And he isn't just angry at injustices. He's, he's not just thinking this is the right thing to do. No, he's doing this because he adores you. Because he loves you with passion. Because he delights in you. It's why he reaches down to rescue David. Freedom is found in being his delight. You want more freedom? Delight more in God and enjoy more of his delight in you. Sing, God has won your freedom. Number four, sing, God is worthy of your all. Sometimes I'm out in the park um, with the kids or something, I'm out and about with them, and uh, somebody might say to me, oh, they're, they're such a delight. And I'll think, you weren't with them last night at bedtime. You should try that bedtime routine. Will you still be saying they're a delight then? There's a big difference, isn't there, between being his delight and being a delight. You may be someone who is not always a delight. Some, and even most of the time, you might say, I'm not really a delight. You're more the bedtime routine brat than you are the sugar-filled park-loving delight. But you are still his delight. Just like my kids will always be my delight, even when I... Get enraged. Feel fed up. They're still my delight. I love them so much. You're still his delight. He loves you so much. So why does it seem like David is saying, I'm always a delight, actually? Let me read the verses to you. Verses 21 to 25. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not done evil by turning from my God. All his laws are before me. 
I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my clean, cleanness in his sight. Hmm. There's a stack up with what we would say at Glasgow Grace and the rest of Scripture. I mean, if, saying, if he's saying here that I'm always good and I'm not deserving of punishment, we know that is not true. We've seen moments of entitlement in his life, him abdicating his responsibilities, adultery, probably rape, murder. I mean, this is not someone with a squeaky clean record. Before God's law, he is surely guilty, not innocent. Thankfully, close inspection on these verses shows us that he's not actually claiming perfection. His statements, righteousness, not guilty, are actually based on a life given to him by God in faith. Verse 22 is saying, I've not turned away from God and his law. Not that he's kept every law perfectly. So the equivalent today in our kind of Christian language might be something like, I've given my life to Jesus. I've taken up my own cross. I've devoted my life to God. I've laid myself down for him. And for David, it's I've given my life to God and God's law. And for us, it might be, I'm following Jesus and his ways. So God alone saves and he rescues. That's clear. God pulled him out, remember, in the previous verses. But like David, we're, we, we need to know that this is true as well, okay? The more we seek of him, the more we devote, the more we will find reward. Verses 21 and 25 show us that. So let me read to you. Uh, verses 26 through 29, which just give us a little bit more of a flavor of what that looks like. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. You are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord turns my darkness into light. Just lost my notes. We will recover. Okay. Where was I? There I was. Okay. God gives more to us as we give more of ourselves to him. Don't confuse this, okay? It's not more wealth. It's not more power. It's not more fame, but more God. More freedom in God. The more you live life given to him, the more you experience the spacious place. The more you experience of what it means to be free in God, what it means to be already his, to have a new identity. The one that's been given to you. God said to Jeremiah the prophet, um, as he, or said to Israel really through the Jeremiah the prophet, in the lead up to the Babylonian invasion 400 years later and their exile famous verses chapter 29 this is what the lord says when 70 years are completed for babylon i will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back 
to this place. You see, God's going to save them. God's going to rescue them. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We seek. What happens next? I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. God brings us to the spacious place we belong. You see the principle? So God does the saving work. It's his power to save. It's not that we've done anything to deserve being saved. He pulls us out when we don't deserve it. But then as we delight in him, as we seek him, as we explore more of who he is and his delight for us and what it means to be free, the more we receive of that freedom, of the goodness of God. There is reward in seeking God, in other words. You don't just get saved and then just chill out. We get saved and then we give our all to the glory of God. And the more we do, the more we experience of his goodness. Sing, God is worthy of your all. All right, final one. Sing, God's kingdom is at hand. Have you read the uh, end of the Bible? Spoiler alert, if you've not, okay. God completes his victory and his kingdom, making everything right. And this psalm foreshadows that better kingdom. That kingdom which has begun and is advancing, where a son of David king has arrived. A king promised by God and has broken out a new kingdom for all nations and for all people. Let me read verses 47 through 51. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, the rock my saviour. He is the God who avenges me, who puts the nations under me, who sets me free from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes from violent men. You rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his, and his descendants forever. Sometimes it can feel like God is not there. Like he's not a living God. Not really with you. Maybe that's your experience at the moment. You're praying about something maybe. And you're struggling to hear. You're struggling to hear an answer. You don't really know where God's at with it. Well, David has been there. Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Well, that was then. But David finishes with a testimonial flourish to say, oh my God, is a living God. 
It may feel like that sometimes. But let me tell you from my experience, David is saying, he is alive. He says he's my rock. Now, he doesn't mean the wrestler, whose muscles I'm sure will finally shrink at some point. But, I mean, how is he still so big? It's unbelievable. But he, is, he means rock, the rock, the unmovable, solid, strong, protector, eternal God, who I can build my life upon without fearing it will be destroyed. David vouches. No, no, he does rescue. He does save. He's delivered me. And David says he is the champion. The one you can put your trust in. The one who not only rescues him from his enemies, and not, but he'll rescue you from your enemies. And judgment, justice will come. God will rule over them and all things. Over all nations. Over all peoples. And this living God, this rescuer, this rock, this ruler, he's already come. He's already established a kingdom that Israel could only foreshadow. He's the true king, and where the king is, so too is the kingdom. That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. In other words, it's me, I'm here. The king has arrived. The kingdom of God is here, and you're not, you're not seeing it, you're missing it. You see, he came saying, I am proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom. But because, as he says, this kingdom is not of this world, there were no swords involved. He's establishing a kingdom in a way that no one had ever seen before. And it was the only way that it was ever really ever going to work. The king himself establishes the kingdom by laying down his own life. On the cross, he disarms the sin that controls us. No longer does that have mastery over you. He renders it powerless. Then he's raised to new life. Three days later. And he shows that God is living. Jesus is alive. The living God is here. And in him, all of God's promises, all the things that David clings to, only are the foreshadow of what's to come, are fulfilled. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the anointed one. That's what the Christ means. Verse 51, anointed one. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the one to come. It's through the descendants of David. Well, who is that? It's Jesus. That's why Matthew begins with the genealogy that goes all the way back to David and then before A son of Abraham, a son of David. The king has come. The king has arrived. Hallelujah. Hosanna to the king. And he's alive. And that means death is overcome. It means you have nothing to fear. That even the, the very worst fear that anyone you speak to will have, that ultimate fear of death, even that will be overcome. There will be no more death. Jesus, the living God, is here. And he's inviting you not to a set of practices, not to a set of doctrines, 
as important as they are, he's inviting you to a person. He's inviting you to himself. So the spacious places get lost in Christ. He's made you one with him. You're a royal priesthood. You're part of the family. Enjoy these things because they are true of you. Break yourself off because you've already been broken off. Live what is true and live free in Christ and be his delight because he delights over you. Sing. The kingdom of God is at hand. We are made to sing. We're made to sing of these glorious truths like this track from the soundtrack of David's life's life. There is so many reasons to sing to God. These are just some. So there is really no better way of applying this passage than singing. So band, if you guys could come on up and lead us in song. I'm just going to remind you of those five reasons that we have to sing. Sing, God has heard your cry for help. Sing, God's passion for you is explosive. Sing, God has won your freedom. Sing, God is worthy of your all. Sing, God's kingdom is at hand. We're going to take communion together as we do. Um, So why don't we get on our feet. And this is one way in which we remember every single week. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We remember the king who's come and died in our place so that we could be part of the royal family, so that we could enter in to his courts and be with him forever and ever and ever, so that we could be free from our sin, so that he could take that on on our behalf and take the punishment that we deserve. So when you go to that table, let's remember the king. Take the bread and the wine in your own time. There's also going to be an opportunity to be prayed for. So from about halfway through the first song, there'll be a team up there ready to pray for you. Um, So please do go and receive prayer. If there's anything that just God's been doing in your heart today, maybe through the week, you just want prayer for, please do go and get some prayer. And finally, if you have anything that you feel God is speaking to you about, maybe there's a prophetic picture or word Maybe there's a verse that you feel, oh, I just really want to share this. I feel like God wants me to share this. I'm going to be down here. Come grab me and we'll work out if there's a good time to bring that. Father God, might we know as we sing right now, your delight in us. Thank you, Lord, that you can delight in us forever and we can have this gloriously free relationship with you that we can find true freedom in you We can be in that spacious place, enjoying exactly who we're made to be because of Jesus, because of our King who's come, our champion, our victor. We love you. Move amongst us by the power of your Holy Spirit now, we pray. Holy Spirit, fall on us afresh. Holy Spirit, come.